Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Do we have anybody like Jay Allen Hynek in the system anymore? I mean, here's a guy who was a consultant to Project Blue Book, was a non-believer, and then he changed his mind. Then he became one of the biggest ufologists in the world. You know, George, you said something very important. He changed his mind. And I think I admire all those researchers that do change their mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have anybody like him because he started out, and you know, he was pretty, when I started working with him, it was putting pins in maps. It was nuts and bolts. It was sightings. It was what MUFON does today. It was not, he did not extend himself until his later years to the contact scenario. So um, he was a professor. He was an, a guy from academia. I mean, he was an astronomer. He knew the difference between Venus and a UFO. And the thing is that, you know, it was wonderful working with him because somebody like me that was, you know, a neophyte, somebody that didn't know anything, was was taught. You know, he was my teacher. He was my mentor. I knew this was no joke. I knew it was real because I worked with him for six years. And one thing he taught me, which was really great, was to listen to people. In other words, don't go in with a preconceived notion, because I remember thinking to myself, oh, these people are crazy, some of these people with their stories, you know. And he used to say to me, no, no, you, you listen to the whole entire story, because then you can decide, uh, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, there's nobody like him, and I'm so happy to see this show. Remember his swamp gas theory that just haunted him, didn't it? Yeah, it did. The problem was that there were people working in this field way before Alan that were serious and knew it was real. And he used to tell me, I'll never live down the swamp gas. I'll never live it down because they criticized him for it. But, um, you know, it, it, it was wonderful that he would go from Blue Book in 69 to a Center for UFO Studies and even I, I think I even put it in my presentations. I was part of that. I, even though I never went and investigated on the field, I was part of Kufos in the early days in 1980. Well, that's the place to be. What are you working on now? What kind of cases are you at? Oh God, <laughs> I'm all over the map. Uh, I am working. I'm still working on the 1945 case down in Socorro, New Mexico. That crash that happened in 45, and you had Remy Baca and Jose mm-hmm. Padilla on, and they were the two young boys that had seen the crash near the, uh, the, uh, the atomic bomb site, near the Trinity site. I'm still working on that. I'm working on um, going to Latin America, and I'm going to Peru in May, because uh, I want to go to the Chilca Desert where... The Latin American contactees like Sisto Paz and Ricardo Gonzalez and mm-hmm. Enrique Villanueva and all those guys said that uh, spacemen came off the uh, the ships. In fact, uh, there's a case where a, 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 a Spanish journalist, J.J. Benitez, actually witnessed uh, you know uh, a craft in the Chilca Desert. And he reported it to the world. But this is all in Europe. It doesn't come to the United States. These cases don't get covered. And in my book, All of the Above and Beyond, I interview 10 contactees who say they're interacting with human-type people coming off ships. 
So I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, well, how does that happen? And then I have to go back to the giant rock days in Southern California in the 1950s with Adamski, Van Tassel, Howard Menger, uh, Orfeo Angelucci, and then I have to study that that happened then. Uh, it, it, it happened in the 50s and 60s in the United States and in the 70s and 80s in Latin America. And, of course, that's going to in- interest me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm too, I'm going to be very biased about this. Our, our field is too much with the uh, abduction little gray alien scenario to understand that uh, there's all kinds of visitations. And, and in the early days, they were people. They, they sure were. But you're right. We're not getting the kind of coverage we used to get a long time ago. Why is that? Oh, because, it, first of all, it's really hard to do this, George. I don't know. It, it, people can't just get, like I do, just get in a plane and go to these places and talk to everybody. What's happening with a lot of the research now, it's all on Internet. So people just troll Internet and think that's the research. Uh, they don't go to the actual place. I've covered so many stories, but I've had to cover them face to face. And uh, in, in one of the ca- cases I covered just recently, and you know this because you work with him, is Emory Smith. Yep. And uh, I interviewed Emory Smith, but then I did two articles in Italy on Emory Smith, uh, on his working in, in black projects. And uh, I did these two cases. I did this case, and I. it reminds me of the Dan Burrish case that I had done. I don't know if you remember oh, that. I remember that. I sure do. Do you, do you remember that? So yep. I could cross-reference. Yeah, and you've, you've interviewed Emory, and uh, these people that work in these projects, it sounds unbelievable. They are working with, in Dan Burrish's case, microbiology with the J-Rod, in Emory's case with these beings. And, uh, you know, with all different types of beings, and, and it's uh, deeply hidden. Uh, and these insiders uh, are are part of the UFO history. And if I hadn't seen Dan Bursch three times, I would never have done the story. But I have to see these people face-to-face, and I don't sure. think there's a lot of people who do that anymore. No, they don't. They don't. Everything is over the phone these days. Over the phone, and then the trouble is it costs money, and and I don't know where the sponsorship for some of this stuff comes. Well, see, you're one of the few, you're one of, I was going to say, you're one of the few people who literally spends everything from her own pocket. Peter Davenport from the National UFO Reporting Center is another one like that, but but you folks are very rare. Yeah, but I want to (laughs) know. That's right. to know, it, it, and I can't do it on the phone. If I don't see the reaction, in the case of Burrish, I, I had to keep going back because I don't do the story automatically. I have to be convinced they're telling the truth. There has to be something about their, uh, their body language, the way they're looking at me. Clifford Stone, when I went to do his story, I mean, he broke down and cried. I, 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 you know, so did Burrish, actually. Um, people, I have to really be in the presence of these people, listen to them. In my case, because I've been around so long, I mean, getting to be an old woman, I've been around so long that, <laughs> that I can uh, cross-reference, which means I've interviewed so many pilots, so many. I have interviewed, I've been to NASA, interviewed people working there. I've been 
to Europe uh, and now in Latin America that if it sounds like it makes sense, I can I know that it's the truth. Tonight on The CW, from the executive producer of The Vampire Diaries and the Originals, comes the incredible story about making contact. Get ready for the highly anticipated arrival of the new series, Roswell, New Mexico, when Liz Ortega returns to her sleepy, legendary hometown of Roswell, where she's reunited with high school crush Max Evans, small-town cop with an extraordinary secret. Drawn together as if by some unseen force of attraction, Max reveals to Liz that he's an alien who fell to Earth during the infamous UFO crash of 1947. From another world, he and his brother and sister have lived their entire lives in secret, never telling the soul the truth about what they are or the mind-blowing powers they each possess. When Max's family finds out that he has broken their vow of secrecy, events are set in motion that will rock the entire town of Roswell to its core. Don't miss the unbelievable new series, Roswell, New Mexico, tonight, only on The CW. Well, people trust you, Paula, and that's another important aspect of what you do. They trust you. Well, I have no ulterior motives. I just want to know. In fact, I just tell them, look, I'm going to do this interview word for word. I'm not going to put anything into it. It's from audio tape. You can't believe how many audio tapes I have. Uh, I'm going to do it word for word. It's going to be in my books word for word, and there's no other uh, motives uh, because certainly didn't make any money, uh, and I don't do it for that reason. I, I do it. You keep asking me. I do it because I want to know. Um, and, uh, and just to add something, this past weekend we had Jim Penniston here in Boulder lecturing at the, uh, the uh, uh, Wittemeyer Law School, and I did an incredible interview with him that I encourage everybody to go to my YouTube in detail, sequentially, about his 38 years ago going up to a craft in Rendlesham Forest and taking notes at actually touching the craft. And as I'm doing this interview... And he got uh, sick when he did that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He touched it. Yep. He's going to be uh, our guest Friday for the first hour. By the way, that's amazing because uh, he is. I mean, that's the source. It's not like somebody who knows him who knows him. You know, it's him. He's going to tell you what he went through, and I could see the emotion on his face because I said, "Well, the blessing is you took notes, Jim." And he said to me, "I didn't think I was going to come out of that alive." Wow. If that doesn't touch wow. you. Yeah, because he said, I'm taking notes because I thought this is it. Well, did he think so something was going to happen because... leaving these notes behind. Was he concerned about the UFO, that he was going to get some illness, or was he concerned that somebody was going to bump him off? No, he was concerned about the UFO because he'll tell you, as he's going around measuring it, and he's looking underneath, and he'll give you a detail that this astounded me. He couldn't see it. Uh, he couldn't see any landing gear. But when they measured the indentation, that thing that that seemed to be stationary was, uh, he said, I think seven tons, seven tons. And 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 uh, you know, so this is technology. He was confused because the technology is so advanced. But when he put his hand on the glyphs. He said there was a bright, bright light that came out, like almost uh, the light of an explosion, but it was totally quiet. He couldn't hear birds. He couldn't hear his footsteps. Hmm. He couldn't hear anything. So when that light came out, he didn't know if he could survive that. Uh, 
So it was, it was, it it affected him enough. And I've heard this from Clifford. So they have dreams about it. They're disturbed uh, at night. They can't sleep. They relive it. And uh, as I put on my Facebook, these are the real heroes. These are the people that actually were there, that lived it, and have the courage mostly to tell about it. In the Mediterranean Sea, there's an Italian island called Sardinia. You're going there? What What's going on? What's happening? Yeah, well, <laughs> I've been there once. I was lecturing, and they dragged me around the island, and hardly, you know, very many people go there. And there are tombs there that that, uh, that are 15 foot long. So whatever was in that tomb is 15 foot long. And so on one occasion some years ago, and I think this might be on your on your uh, coast uh, images. Yeah. Um, they showed me. Uh, they brought me to a farmer whose father and grandfather were there, and they uh, showed me some bones and uh, some teeth that they had dug up and had been warned not to show the outside world that came from giants. And they have, they have told me that in the vicinity of where this was, there are other bones that have been dug up that, are from, that belong to giants. So this is some years ago. So I, I was very curious. I don't do ancient aliens. But um, I talked to Regina Meredith from Gaia, and we're doing an expedition uh, in May, at the end of May, because that farmer said he would give over one of the bones for us to do DNA testing. So we're doing an expedition there, seeing the tombs, seeing the towers, which are called Nuragi, and, uh, and, and, and uh, covering this story, because that is not the only place on the planet where they have found the bones of giants. And maybe we can start connecting some dots here. In mythology, they talk about these giants or these people. That's an amazing work that you got to keep doing that. And, uh, yeah, well, I'm curious. You know, it's, it's, you know, I don't do ancient aliens, but it's part of it. You know it's part of it. Sure. We, we can't just do UFOs and whistleblowers. We have to make sense of the history of this planet and uh, you, you do a lot of that too with uh, your questioning of the past, and it's it's not just now. Uh, and maybe we could project what the real history of the planet: who was here, who who built these monuments, who uh, who had these esoteric kinds of uh, of uh, thinking. We have to put it together. It's connecting the dots, is what it basically is. Paula, Steve uh, Bassett always believes that disclosure is eminent, coming from government. I don't know that if it's going to happen that way. How about you? Well, if I'm sitting with uh, Jim Penniston and he's telling me this really happened, it's documented, Nick Pope has written a book about it, it that's disclosure. That's as close as you're going to get. Yeah. All these whistleblowers, the people that Edgar Mitchell. in these projects. The people like Edgar Mitchell and all of them. Yeah, I mean, you honestly think that any government is going to have a stake in admitting they've been lying? Heck no. No. (laughs) It isn't even logical. And the problem is not so much the governments that change, you know, because Colonel Corso used to say, stop blaming the government, they change every four years. Um, It's not about the government. You've done the interviews with Emory. You know that there is a vested interest in the military-industrial complex. 
In other words, that the back-engineered technology, and that's in my book, Conversations with Colonel Corso, uh, that the back-engineered technology is producing, you know, huge amounts of money, and uh, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. They're using this stuff, and and they want more of it, I'm sure, and uh, you you can't uh, you can't go up against that. That's economics, and that's how this planet is run. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.